Hello everyone, welcome. We are live right now on the Cannabis community. We are stoked to have you guys here. We have a special show today. First off, our guest today is West Coast Connoisseur, uh, Jacob. He's joined us today, so we're super stoked to have him. And we also have a giveaway that we're going to be doing for all of our members that are watching us in the live today in the Cannabis community. So a couple of things I need to hit real, real quick. First off, you can be a part of these sorts of experiences in the future. If you're watching this on YouTube or whatever, and you're like, "Hey, how do I get a part of the, uh, get to be a part of this thing?" You should just join our community. Search Cannabuzz in the App Store, uh, download the app, and join our community. Or go to cannabuzz.app in your browser. We'd love to have you. Use code New Year at checkout to get fifty uh, percent off your first month, and. Uh, once again, we're doing that giveaway for all of our live viewers. So if you are viewing the show today in the live stream, make sure you enter something in the chat. Just say anything. And what we'll do after this live stream is done is I'll pull a list of everyone that has uh, entered something in the chat. And we'll do a random giveaway for these Zuper plushers. J uh, JR, do you want to say anything about these Zuper plushers? Yeah, this is a drop that Tiki's doing right now, and it's a lemon cherry gelato uh, by a combination of pancakes by Z3. And uh, you also, if you purchase the pack, you get a free pack of Zopinator uh, that comes with it. Uh, so you can find that at Neptune uh, Seed Bank, or you could find it at tikiseeds.com. Um, so it's a good time, and we're going to be giving a, a pack of that away today. So stay tuned, folks. It should be a good one. We're excited about that. Another thing I wanted to mention is uh, Tiki's doing a 50% uh, off on all of the Tiki's uh, swag that he's got at his shop. So if you want to go over and grab some hoodies, I grabbed a hoodie. Uh, and in any other gear, uh, get on over there and grab some 50% off. So good deal. Sweet. And then last thing, we are going to be doing more giveaways in future live streams. I've got a bunch of Grove bags, big ones, small ones. I've got one that's like half the size of my body. I don't know how many how many pounds you could fit in that Grove bag. So stay tuned for more giveaways. Join the community. We'd love to have you. But let's get to the show. All right. So we've I got our special guest today, like I said, is West Coast Connoisseur. We are super stoked to have him today. He's originally from a small town outside of Seattle. He lived in Tahoe and eventually migrated down to L.A. And he now, now finds himself in Oklahoma. And we're going to find all about his journey with cannabis and what he's up to. Um, and West Coast Connoisseur, his company, is a family-owned, fully integrated cannabis company specializing in exotic genetics from seeds to clones to high-end flower on dispensary shelves. So thank you for, so much for joining us, Jacob. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, appreciate you carving out time for me to be a guest here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad... I'm really glad to have you on. Um, it was nice meeting up with you and at Cowboy Cup, and I, I'm glad to see you guys did well there. Uh, you placed well there at the Cup, and uh, it's good to see that you're kind of bringing that uh, higher level of uh, quality and genetics uh, to the Oklahoma scene. So we're really glad to have you on. 
Yeah, uh, you know, we started out here right when it first opened and um, we've kind of just kept the quality model and we've never really looked back. Excellent. Well, let's get started. Um, we always ask our guests, you know, uh, when and where uh, did your cannabis journey kind of begin? Well, okay, so there's two, to me, there's two levels of the journey. There's the first journey, which is, you know, when you first get into smoking weed and uh, first probably got into smoking weed and hanging around that. I, I was probably 12 or 13 years old and uh, some other kids I was hanging out with uh, had started smoking weed. And, you know, sometimes uh, we all fall together on the same lines and we all started smoking <laughs> weed and, um never never really looked back and um then i didn't probably start selling weed or stuff like that till i was probably 15 or 16 you know maybe i was doing it real small time you know getting an ounce and breaking it down to buddies or whatever it was but no nothing anything more than that till i got a little older um and then um probably when i was about 15 16 um, I started, so I lived in a small town outside of Seattle, I had about, you know, 5,000, 6,000 people at the time. And so to get any good weed, you actually had to go into Seattle. And so I started making uh, bigger trips into the city to get more higher quality flowers uh, because that was, you know, where my bread and butter was, there was only three people where you could get weed from where I grew up and most of it was really shitty. So to, you know, whenever, whenever you got weed from the city of Seattle, it was always much better. Fire. Yeah. So I probably then really started getting into selling, you know, real weight then. Um, and just, you never looked back you know the more people i actually find out to that i talk to in the california scene now are kind of people who were up there around the same time there's a lot of intertwining obviously in the in the networks and in the community um and so uh from there i guess probably i i guess i probably moved to tahoe in 2010 and uh, from there started, you know, getting even more weed and selling even more weed, uh, you know, being right close there to Grass Valley in California made things really easy for a lot of us. Um, so you meant, you mentioned, uh, when you were growing up in, uh, the, uh, Seattle area that you didn't really feel like you and your buddies were kind of emulating a gangster lifestyle. You were more emulating an entrepreneurial lifestyle can you talk yeah, a little yeah. bit about that yeah you know so when uh in seattle and especially where i was growing up uh you know it really it's a uh, it's like an island in the middle of pacific ocean there's no gangs um there's no uh there's no violent crime the you know there's been one murder in the town in the last 30 years or something and it's the only violent crime um you know, someone's television is stolen. It's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, growing up, it, it was kind of the thing. Not until you got into Seattle where you're dealing with, um, you know. Real like, gangsters. <laughs> real gangsters. Yeah, real yeah. gangsters. And, and real, you know, like I, uh, 
you know, was getting caught up with some guys who were tied to some Vietnamese guys, international guys, you know, and you know, they're not playing no games when they're international based and stuff like that. Um, so, but there was none of that where I grew up. And so like, uh, you know, I would get caught by, you know, uh, teachers or other people's parents and stuff like that. And to me, it was kind of like, well, I'm just trying to make money. It's not a big deal. Like, you know, obviously you can look around and see that I'm not influencing violent crime on Bainbridge Island. Um, It it, it doesn't exist. So, (laughs) um, you know, I got in trouble too. And, and the, the, you know, we're such a small town that, um, you know, the fire truck actually, I sold weed to the fire chief's son and he ratted on me and then they pulled the fire truck up to my parents house (laughs) Um, yeah so um but like that's the kind of small town i lived in there was no so like uh, a lot of us you know when we were you know you know me and another kid from a young age uh who i still am good friends with um he and i were building our bankrolls from a young age um off of cannabis not off of our other jobs and so and you know uh it's funny like the l's that we took in high school are different than a lot of the l's of the older generation but they're the same you know they ended up in jail we ended up with all of our weed getting taken more often than yeah you know so so like i really think of you know i was really able to move on this mindset of it wasn't that you couldn't go to jail but it was um it wasn't the same um for especially in in some of those outer reaches of seattle and like quickly you know by the time i'm 16 they've decriminalized everything um so i can't remember what it was you could have two pounds at the time maybe or something like that um so like again you just knew you weren't dealing with the same level as risk you look at these other states and they're like if you have two drops of it in your car it's a felony and you're going to jail yeah um and if it's your third felony you're going for life right and so there was just there was none of those worries to me as, as you know so growing up again it creates more of an entrepreneurial mindset i believe than a lot of people who um you know, have kind of like what, whatever you want to call it, a flip mode mindset. Um, uh, you know, how do we double up? Uh, how do we push someone out of territory? You know, thinking of all these things rather than how do I innovate my business from within to create more sales? And obviously, you know, at the time it was, it's all, you know, it's all word of mouth. It's, uh, you know, no one was on the internet yet and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, so we thought of ourselves as, uh, young entrepreneurs going and getting, you know, work and bringing it back to our tiny little town and trying to distribute it. We never thought of ourselves as gangsters or, you know, uh, you know, like we're coming up and stuff like that. Like it just, it was never really, you were from a small little town. It was just keep it quiet and build your bankroll. Right. So what, what kind of, um, trouble or what were you up to in your college days what kind of moving out into your college and going from there um so when i got to college it's like where i started going from like two pounds a week to 10 pounds a week kind of deal (laughs) um so uh and everything just became way more accessible way more free um and so coming from you know 
you know, going on and off the ferry boat was a whole thing. You know, they had dogs on the ferry. So you had to have your, it was a whole thing. And so now just being able to move freely in California, uh, really, and being on college, a college campus that had as many people as my entire town, um, had, you know, really allowed things to start to flow. Um, and Man, I mean, we were getting so much random weed at the fucking time, man. It was crazy. And because Grass Valley was just so popping, um, you know, people, I mean, people's parents I went to school with would come to me and be like, hey, I've got 100 pounds. I've got, wow. you know, a field of weed. You know, uh, I had people's parents I was going to school with who had mobile grows, who had mobile pipe shops, who had, um I mean, pretty much every crazy, and again, this is just what the NorCal community breeds, and like coming from Seattle, which did not have anything like this, you know, I'm like me and this one other kid are the only kid who are really to go balls deep into weed, and you get here, and there's a hundred kids way more balls deep than you in weed. Right. Um, so that was, that was a really cool experience, um, and getting to you know, just start meeting different people and, and different grows. And a lot of, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was into the strains and everything at that point and stuff like that, but I wasn't doing any growing or breeding. Maybe I grew my first plant at the end of junior year or something like that, just a single, um, you know, that turned out pretty rough and stuff, but actually kind of gave me actually an idea for that, um, you know, all the growing that you'd read on forms and stuff like that, they, I feel like people made it so much more complicated than it actually was. And so actually doing that, just taking a clone and, you know, flowering it in the window over the summer kind of deal, um, started to make my brain turn. Uh, mm -hmm. it started to make me realize that, uh, you know, and it, it, it's so funny. You read that you need all these certain ECs and all this monitoring equipment. And you're like, I don't have any of this shit. Like, I'm not going to be able to read pHs and ECs. And like, I mean, the you know, I don't know how to do any of that shit. And then obviously soil creates a lot of those buffers and barriers and, you know, just planted in soil and fed tap water. And I mean, didn't end up with great product or anything like that, but it was fully grown buds that I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of manageable. Like this isn't, this isn't some super scientific process. Right. I mean, it can be, but you can right. get away with doing the bare minimum too. And right about that time, um, natural hash and I started living together and that was probably 2012 or 2013 and you know what's crazy? Natural Hash and shout out Natural Hash and Hose Beast right here. Probably like 2012, 2013. These guys were coming to me with rosin in 2013. Like, and it's it's feels so far to think about that we're like a decade removed from those guys coming to me with rosin and saying like, "Bro, you got to try this." And I was like, "You guys are crazy!" Like. You know, like, I mean, like there was BHO at the stuff in time, but rosin, like, uh, I mean, uh, it was my first introduction to rosin too. Um, so we get into, you know, the, just this further evolution of my cannabis in college of just, um, you know, we get into concentrates and that whole thing explodes. The whole weight thing explodes. Um, 
you know, I, I dabbled obviously into growing at that point, but nothing insane or crazy, no setting up lights, no panda, no panda paper yet, anything, (laughs) or even, even going that far. Um, and, uh, so, but my, the, you know, when I get out of college, um, so actually I met, uh, uh miss jackson uh if, if you guys ever see his flower he's a small company in orange county um but he was also in tahoe at the time when may, maybe when i first got up there maybe about 2010 2011 and then he had gone to la and so after school i hit him up and he was like oh bro i'm rocking down in orange county kind of deal um you know if you move down here like you at least know you can get some work from me and that was kind of like a, a whole thing for me, because if I was going to move to a new area, like I just I couldn't rely on being dry. I wasn't going to drive back up and forth from Tahoe or Seattle. Um, so that was one of the things that really allowed me to leave Tahoe and get to a new area. I imagine uh, it was hard to leave that uh, access to clients, you know, because when you're up there. You've established yourself. You're in a college scene. You have way more access to end users, I guess you would say. And, <laughs> yeah, so, consumers. Moving to, and so moving to L.A. had to be like, I'm, you know, I'm about to give all this shit up and start over, basically. Yeah, I mean, and definitely, you know, I thought about it, but it didn't really hit me till like, you know, maybe like one or two months in when like you're sitting there with work and the sales are really slow compared to what they used to be, right? You know, because I used to just have a gazillion people buy every day, just, you know, needs an eighth, needs a quarter, needs an ounce, needs a half, needs an ounce, you know, two people come by need ounces, you know, next thing you've sold, you know, two pounds in a day of just broken down work. Yeah. Um, and then you go to like, you know, you meet a couple guys in your building, you meet a, you know, I started a new job down there so you could sell it to some guys you've worked with. Like it just, you, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't going the same. Um, and so I was working, so I started working with a venture capital firm because in college I built a solar powered cooler and so that got a lot of traction and stuff but the project never ended up working out and so that one of the companies that for lack of a better term scouted the project during that ended up hiring me and they had some cannabis investments at the time um they had a clone uh, like a nursery they had a dispensary they had a cbd lean company they had uh they had a, a a whole gambit of different cannabis investments and they uh you know took me on to take over some of those responsibilities you know a, a youthful infusion as i've always That's called cool. it where um, are they, were they out of la is that where they were out of long or? beach oh long beach yeah 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 so they were right there yeah right by the airport in long beach so they're all you know roped up in the industrial district down there um and uh so then i ended up taking over so at first i ended up helping the cbd lean company i was kind of on that team for a while and uh then i got switched over to the nursery and the clone side of things and then i ended up taking over the nursery and clone business um just you know really found my footing in it and talking to farmers and they really liked working with me and 
there was always other work to be done outside of selling clones because I was, you know, selling work or whatever else is going on. So there was there was always good synergy. Um, uh, the people I worked with always were remarked. They were like, how do you get invited into every single grow, man? And I was like, I don't know, man. I just, you know, I think it was always a thing about my demeanor and kind of my pitch of what I had going on and what I had to do or always was able to get me access into places uh that a lot of people couldn't right so i get we were actually just going to kind of double click on that um point right there which was how were how once you started kind of getting access to clones or cuts from different people and access to different grows like how did you start making that happen well, so like I always had a little bit of it just from going to farms and buying work anyways. But when the clone thing happened, it just it went absolutely uh, berserker. Uh, there was points where we were selling 10,000, 12,000 clones a week. Um, so you were seeing a lot of grows. And I mean, ha cat, hats off to the cat who built the website at first. And this is kind of where it all started is there was a clone website. And I mean, it, to me at the time, it was insane. This guy built a website. You could literally go in and buy, you know, click like it was a regular website for anything else, buy clones, but then you'd do the transaction at, you know, like based off of email or some re remote location or whatever. And this guy would get gazillions of hits for selling clones. And, but he didn't have any ever stable suppliers. So I went out and found some stable suppliers of clones um so then that's kind of what started unlocking a lot of the access is i started getting access to rarer libraries and was able to start providing more and more value um you know at the height of the cookie you know london pound cake uh all that kind of stuff like uh you know we were getting gazillions of clones from the cookie greenhouses um every single week and I wasn't the only person. I mean, there would be tons of clone brokers pulling up buying clones by the 10, 15, 20,000. Wow. So are these like, I obviously you can only share what you are willing to share, but are these like growers that are growing it for legal rec grows or whatever it is? And then they're kind of like slinging stuff on the slide side for side money? um no i i so when it first all kicked off it was all just black yeah um, it was all just black market stuff and then obviously like as some of these bigger greenhouses go up that are medical or quasi-legal or whatever you want to call them the different people started to push the boundaries of the rules different right. levels right you know right, right um you know and so like uh, and then, you know, different people, uh, like, you know, there was no, you know, like it was just the cookies greenhouse. It was all medical. There was no, you know, like nowadays there's manifests and transport licenses and all this kind of stuff. And it, there right. was just none of that before. It was like, I got a medical card. You got a medical card. Let's run it. Totally. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. During medical is a lot way easier to do a lot of different things. Um, and so right. now that, and so the breeder cut, kind of thing started really popping off and that that whole cut thing about having access to breeder cuts and was that yeah so that kind of oh yeah go ahead. Ahead. no go oh, ahead so i i mean that'll kind of started with i got set, shacked up with some other people in long beach who had the original wedding cake clone 
and I was kind of uh, the fall guy to this group for Sea Junkie for giving out the original wedding cake clone. Uh, so I was like one of those first Instagram posts where like it was, hey, this guy doesn't have wedding cake and he says he's selling it for a thousand dollars and uh this guy definitely doesn't have wedding cake but from everything of the people i was working with in the back end we definitely had it kind of deal and uh but at that time uh two you know two things happened one i made a bunch of sales and a bunch of clients from that whole kind of thing with the wedding cake deal and i also lost my first instagram account it was like the first one i got deleted because you know they dogpile you on like this is a fake cut like delete the account um and from there, I was able to illustrate to some other breeders and other people who I was having, you know, success or building relationships with, whether it was buying or selling seeds or clones or whatever, that, hey, there was a model here to be had. And that some of the, uh, and from a commercial standpoint, my pitch was, if you think you could sell this pound for 200 or more dollars, and if you could grow X amount of pounds that, you know, getting these elite genetics should be worth it as long as they can qualitatively add up. Um, and, I, you know, I bought cuts for as much as $50,000. Um, so, uh, I mean, I really do truly believe in that value from a lot of standpoints of more if you can sell the pounds for more. Um, two, with the, you know, the Grandpa's Gun Chest that I bought for $50,000, um, there's actually better... Um, there's going to be, especially in some of the offspring, there's almost like an extra node on the plant. And so from a grams per square footage aspect, you know, when that starts to add up over a long period of time, it ends up being way more worth on its weight. Yeah, I think there's a lot of obvious advantages to uh, maybe paying a little bit more for something that you can guarantee is going to give you uh, the results you want, especially if you're on your game. And there's also that notoriety that's kind of built into the to the cut itself, you know, because if you can attach it to, like, say, this is Brad's cut of the Blue Slushies number 11, you know what I mean? That has value in it in itself. And I think that whole cut market, you know, where guys are charging, uh, you know, a decent amount for the cuts, um, I think is easily justifiable if you consider that you can take that one cut home and build an army you know what i mean oh, oh yeah i mean like we'll you know we're gonna do some clone releases this year and stuff so it's something i encourage everyone to look out for um but i mean anything that we ever release is going to be a little more expensive but justifiable through the cost of the result. um to me that's where the success of my programs have always lied is that anything that i've been willing to put my name on whether it's from myself or another breeder or something we've just pheno hunted that i see enough phenos every year that i could really qualitatively call this elite from uh multiple standpoints not just that i smelled it and smoked it and it tasted good but that we've right. run it and we have metrics on it and that we know across multiple environments what it's going to do um and just having that infrastructure in and of itself, you know, we've run Grape Spritzer, which we'll release this year in uh, probably four or five different environments now before we release it. And so a lot of people just can't even say say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool, especially like uh, as competitive as the market is today. I mean, like here in Oregon, there's tonnage of boof. I say that a lot, but 
there is tonnage. So if you want to stand out and you want to be able to operate, your shit better be at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there's, uh, and that, you know, here out in Oklahoma, I guess this is kind of like skipping forward in the journey a little bit, but out here in Oklahoma, there's so much, uh, there's only so much, you know, extreme quality shelf space, whatever you want to call it. There's only so much top shelf shelf space per every dispensary. And when everyone kind of came in with the same plan of I'm going to grow top shelf, but the dispensaries come back and they're like, dude, I sell a lot of mids, only a little right. bit of top shelf. That makes sense. So, so that, and so that becomes hard when everyone's got the same attack plan on such a small state and everyone's got such big grows and it's kind of like in Oklahoma specifically, uh, the mids reign supreme, for lack of a better term. Yeah, makes uh, sense. I mean, a lot of consumers are gonna probably fall in that price range, right? That's what they're that's what they can afford. A hundred percent. And you know, like if you look at Oklahoma's market, I think I saw something the other day, like forty five percent of the medical sales are in vape carts. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. And a huge. A huge part of your cannabis sales in Oklahoma is edibles as well, right? Uh, you know, actually, edibles are much lower on the list. It's it's uh, flower one, vape carts two, and I mean that makes up almost ninety percent of the market. And then so like really? everything else kind of falls falls Distant. out from there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, we're gonna talk more about Oklahoma, but uh, before we dive into that, I also wanted to shout out once again everyone on the live stream. We're streaming live right now. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to join the cannabis community and you could be a part of our live streams. And today we're giving away a pack of seeds. So if you're watching the live stream, make sure to enter a comment in the live and that will enter you to win our pack of a Zooper. What is it? Zuper plushers. There we go. I love that. And I love the packaging on this one. So th shout out to Tiki Madman for hooking those up. Um, so yeah, let's talk about um, Oklahoma. So how did you, what brought you out to Oklahoma and what are you up to out there? Okay. So uh, one of my, uh, you know, I say he's my brother. We're really close. Uh, me, you know, know how a lot of those relationships go for people. Uh, he was already working um, here and so we came together um, to do a project and so we were out of the gates from day one out of here um, he uh, you know he was always an Oklahoma native so it was it was on his radar the whole time uh, he served time here in Oklahoma on two different offenses and so it was always kind of on the radar to once that this opened medically come back and and start something um, and um, I mean, I could tell some absolutely fucking crazy stories of getting clones out here at first and stuff of like, um, I mean, we were straight taking clone. We were trying to figure out how to get clones out here without driving them and stuff. And we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff because I'd already shipped them through and stuff like that. And, um, then what was going, ha what was going to happen now was we needed thousands of clones out there. So to get thousands of clones through the transit system was a whole um, ordeal. And um, one day, uh, you know, the post office sent us a message that was, hey, uh, you got to come to the post office. Um, we've got uh, a package for you. 
and you know suspicious activity and blah 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 and uh my partner who's got absolutely cojones of steel went over and i was like i wouldn't go touch that thing and uh right i was and uh he was like no i'm gonna go get it like you know what's the worst like like we've got medical in the state now like it's mine it's blah 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 okay i was like okay and we'll well like we'll see what happens yeah and he goes over and you know there's five big boxes there and he's like do you know what's in these boxes and he's like uh the guy's like no and lets him load them up in the back of his car kind of deal and uh he's he says like yeah there's a, the postman says like yeah there's a bunch of weed in those boxes and he's like and you're just kind of letting me take these and he's like yeah it's it's medical now like you're good to go with them and he let him wow. take them and we drove them off it's like, so, like, it's like the twilight zone or something you know yeah i mean it was it was like a, this thing of you know they weren't they weren't gonna deal with it it was clones and they said take them yeah back in the day they would call you and say hey we have this suspicious package here and we've alerted the authorities you have the right to come down and get the package if you want or you could just have us destroy it (laughs) and of course the obvious answer is yeah you can just destroy that (laughs) yeah yeah and so like there was i mean and just you know the it was just a very again you know wild westy out here from a lot of avenues you know again just like early medical over there there's no manifest there's no transports there's no any of that stuff and so like you can just you know you can just roll up with a pound and be like hey you interested in buying this pound and someone's either got the money or they don't and you move on and yeah um, you know now that we've got metric and everything like that all of that has changed Right. Yeah, um, imagine. Was what kind of strains were you guys moving in and around? Because you know, a lot of us are are weed nerds, so we love to hear about what strains are people smoking at different times and stuff like that. Okay, so when we first got to Oklahoma, we had like pineapple upside down cake, Point Break, White Widow, um, banana punch um that mimosa was about that time it was all that symbiotic stuff um all the punch crosses were big mac (laughs) um what else were we on we were probably on some cushments at that point lemon tree um you know anything that probably would have been considered apple fritter or some kind of cali exotic at the time yeah yeah uh, but we're also we're carrying some of you know like White Widow and you know had some hazes and some some uh, some real just old school stuff too. Yeah. What I, um are you nowadays? Are you seeing that people are wanting kind of strains across the different spectrum? I've heard that from. Um, the guy from Alien Labs, I've watched a couple interviews with him, I think his name is Ted, and he's talked about how people want strains from across the whole spectrum, you know, people want a sativa and an indica. Yeah, so like I kind of joke about it around the facility, like there's the the store market and then there's the Instagram market. The totally. Instagram market and the real, as we call it, weed heads or whatever, they need these tight purple gelatos and these pungent notes and stuff like that. And they're going to know the difference between a Jack and a Haze or, and, you know, they're going to open up to certain profiles. They're probably going to be standoffish of orange chirps. Um, 
And conversely, if you have the medical or recreational market customer, they love haze, they love orange, they love lemon. And like in California, especially in the weed community, uh, these have been outcasted for lack totally. of a better term. Yeah. And I hate orange. And, <laughs> uh, again, like uh, as a person who selected garlic cocktail and distributed chopped cherry, um, I have had a large affinity for orange for a long time. And like, I believe that they have, they've always had their place in the market, even to, you know, like to me, I was, I always laughed about moving a bunch of chopped cherry and garlic cocktail because I was like, everyone says they hate orange, but I can't tell you how much garlic cocktail and chopped cherry we went through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are you seeing, is it THC percentage still driving a lot of weight? Cause I know that, you know, like one of my favorite strains that listeners have heard me talk way too much about is forbidden fruit. But that one is one that, you know, I, th I think often when people grow it, especially outdoors, they get it tested. It's in like the high teens or whatever. So it's not, stuff that people buy a lot is that what are you seeing or what are you what have you kind of experienced so it just i i hate throwing out this answer but it just kind of depends right so like we yeah. don't show any thc percentages in our store or anything like that we you don't legally have to so we don't so we try to do as much of not playing that thc game as possible wow. uh but when you Respect. get into others <laughs> yeah so when you get into other stores and stuff though like we can't we can't sell rainbow belts outside of our own store. It's just uh, the customer one is not educated enough to look past that it's got some green weed in front of them, and then oh. two on top of that the low test results. Um, What's low now? Like anything below? Yeah, I was I was gonna say eighteen to twenty two or something like that. So anything below like uh. twenty, basically. Yeah, I'd say dispensaries seem to have problems. And especially, like, it also just depends on the kind of dispensary, you know? Like, there are some dispensaries that have just given in to the THC model, and so they live and die on the results. And there's yeah. other dispensaries that have not, and so they need a totally different subset of sales points, essentially. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, awesome. I think that THC-driven, uh, you know, kind of became a sad marketing ploy to trick people into buying something that maybe is well, not of the best quality. Yeah. And you know, my theory on that too, is uh, it gave the big money guys a qualitative way to uh, a qualitative way to sell their product that this yeah. should be worth more because it's, it says this yeah. and because we don't know how to judge cannabis. This right. gives us a way to right. measure the product. Right. Yeah. And it's the same. I went to the, I go, um, you mentioned earlier vape carts. I buy vape carts now because I have to work in an office nowadays for the first time in a, in a few years and I can't really smoke joints, you know, out and about, and, right. you know, and so I get these vape carts, you know, and so I go into the store and I get to see how the bud tenders interact and they often kind of steer you towards that. Or I ask like, what's popular? And they're like, oh, this is the vape cart that tests at 90%. And they're not like, oh, this is live resin or whatever. It, it's distillate. You know, it's a 90% it's a distillate. It doesn't matter that it's a lower quality product. It just matters that it's higher THC. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's just one of the great fallacies of the whole market right now. You know, I've heard people say it for years. If anybody could find a way to 
um, capitalize and make money on teaching bud tenders on how to be more useful. I mean, they would be a good, they'd be the most useful product on planet earth and cannabis right now. Right. Um, someone who could come in and teach bud tenders, but again, like that's really tough in and of itself. Um, I've seen, you know, the trichrome Institute is trying to do educational programs and stuff like that. And, but even then, uh, you know, cannabis falls on just once you start to understand the plant more, it just falls on such a crazy spectrum that unless someone is really willing to open their eyes, you have to just kind of, you know, dumb it down to a certain level. Right. Yeah. The Gangier program, um, I know it's trying Gangier, get this too, trying but there's to like drama in the community and all kinds of stuff. But um, let's talk about, so once you hit into Oklahoma, how did you you know build that brand like you've been moving all around the country you move to a new city each time you've got to build that reputation build that clientele how did you build that brand well so you know i was really fortunate out here that uh you know my partner and everything had built a good head start and a good program you know we were some of the first people out here to drop in packaged um you know like black jars i wish i had I don't have one over here, but like, uh, there's, you know, there's these branded little connoisseur black jars and that's just what it just, it ignited the fire and it was just there from the start. And, uh, so we built a bunch of steam, um, just right out of the gate. Um, and then probably two years into business or something like that, we opened the dispensary. Um, and so that is, you know, was another kind of like the springboard to the next point. Right. Um, but yeah, and like so, the origin, original so drops, your, like really set us on fire. What was your branding focus as you went into that retail space? Clean. Um, I mean, if you've been to a lot of dispensaries in Oklahoma that they, uh, um, they fall short on cleanliness, on organization, on a lot of things like that. And so we just wanted to bring a space that was, you know, like if you came into someone's living room um, and, you know, connoisseur, clean, black and white branding, um, those were all of our focuses kind of in, in that element. Uh, and we've stayed true to those colors and everything, too. And so you had a you had a clientele in mind as you were building this uh brand and this type of experience for your customer yeah i mean i had such a huge instagram account at that point i was probably at 45 or fifty thousand followers like the day we opened the dispensary we had 200 people at the door in tulsa that's a good um, day first day yeah, yeah for our first yeah. day yeah um you know and our first day was crazy too uh you know it was the fiasco of fiascos where, you know, people start coming in through the door, the system crashes, you know, it goes up, it goes down, it's not really working. And actually one of the funniest points in hindsight, um, wasn't funny at the time, was the system got working for about five minutes and someone was able to get their order processed and checked out kind of deal. And so everyone he walks past with his brown bag and everyone's getting super excited. They're like, yeah, the system's <laughs> working again. Everyone's like getting really hyped. You can like feel the buzz in the building. And I had to go out and tell everyone that, Hey, by the way, the system just went down again. And like, we're going to close today because I hate doing this to people. And 
we handed out a bunch of free joints and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, open the next day, but the first day was Rocky was a mess. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, I have pictures. Uh, if I, if I dug them up sometime of like, you know, our dispensary lobby doesn't normally have more than between five and 11 people in it kind of deal. And there's like 90 people in the front door and in the lobby and snaking around. And you're like, Oh no. You're like good problem, but bad problem. Yeah. Nice. So, so now yeah. your your company is uh, fully integrated. Uh, can you kind of talk about what that means, being fully integrated, what that process entails, and what you're able to offer uh, your end user because you are fully integrated? Yeah, so uh, the vertical integration in uh, whatever way someone wants to build it, but it's the process of having the grow, the process, and processing license, and the dispensary all together. And so that you can offer the cheapest um, streamlined products possible. That you're, you know, every time that, especially now that metrics in play, every time that you transfer something, every time, it, you know, this all costs labor and man hours and stuff like that. And in such a competitive market, um, you have to be as cheap as possible um, and as cost effective as possible. I don't think you have to be as cheap as possible, but you have to be as cost effective as possible. And um, the grow selling to the dispensary obviously allows you to baseline your rates for the most effective um, cost to customers. And the... Um, Yeah, so uh, there's one, the effective cost to customers, two, that you can create the most SKUs possible out of your own lineup, and three, that you can deliver them to a customer in a streamlined fashion. So everything from joints to, you know, the processor license unlocks joints, unlocks infused pre-rolls, unlocks all those little things, you knickknacks you see on the shelf that you never really think about, that as a grow, when you're limited to just selling flour, and your yeah. trim, your revenue streams are extremely limited and capped. You know, if yep. you're just a true farmer, like and anyone who's just a true farmer listening, you're going to feel this struggle is you only get paid every five months or whatever it is, three right. to five months, depending on your cycles. Um, and with the processor license, you can get paid every day. It is the dispensary allows you to get paid every day. It's a it's a game changer for your business. Um, you know, a business that can only make money every five months has to really choose how it uses everything. Um, you know, your cash flow. A lot of a lot of growers and and people I talk to from the black market don't understand cash flow and stuff like that. And so, how to unlock your cash flow to where you're actually making money every day is an absolutely crucial ingredient of the puzzle. Um, and now and not, so, every, not every state allows uh, the vertical integration, right? The, to my knowledge, that is correct, but I don't know who it is. I think like Maryland doesn't allow it and Florida maybe or someone like that. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oklahoma allows it and there, there's a lot of people doing it out here. And are you able to sell clones in the dispensary as well? Yes, you have to get another license for that. Um, it's like an agricultural license that you have to get to sell that as well. 
And does that allow you to sell clones like outside of Oklahoma to like anyone or what's the situation? No. Um, so, you know, we kind of here in Oklahoma, we're keeping everything closed circuit for the shelf and everything like that. And then historically, you know, we, you know, West Coast Connoisseur had just, uh, you know, done, for lack of a better term, uh, traditional market clones. Um, so that that's kind of where the split now lies is that, you know, connoisseur cannabis and everything like that is, you know, an entirely white market metriced up business. And, you know, West Coast Connoisseur still abides by some of the, the traditional market stuff and, you know, operates out of California. So. Right. So you do a lot, I mean, kind of switching gears, um, you're known for doing a lot of pheno hunting and yep. finding incredible uh, genetics. Uh, but at the same time, you have to balance that with uh, getting product on the shelf and allocating space and resources for that. So can you talk a little bit about how you focus on finding new stuff, but yet still provide uh, bangers for the shelf? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that we run our rooms here different than most other people. Most other people run, you know, a table of plants of whatever it is, just say it's sherb cake or apple fritter or wedding cake or whatever it is, because they get the best results on yield and everything like that. Um, when you're growing for the shelf, like vertically integrated, you end up kind of meeting more of a general baseline and um trying to grow as much as possible to to feed the customer, right? So we grow hazes and we grow sherb and we grow, you know, cushments and hard candy and uh, everything in one room. So, you know, in one room of 50 lighter, we could have up to, you know, 20, 25, what I would call base strains where those are going to be for the shelf. And then we'll have, you know, almost in every room, we have a section of pheno hunt um, between 30 and, a hundred beans per room. That's good. That's actually good. I mean, a hundred can give you opportunities to find some amazing shit. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and I also always know that like when we start with like 120 or 140 beans, you only end up with like 60 to 75 phenos or something like that between herms and males and all, all that kind of stuff. And just there's wacky and shit, you know, like we just throw away the wacky shitty plants and stuff like that. So. So what are it, your kind of protocols? This is kind of off subject a little bit. Yeah. What are your, what are your protocols for um, uh, when you're flipping to look for intersex traits? Uh, what kind of, what kind of processes are you doing to, kind of monitor and watch for that at what phases well so i mean i think it's no different than any grower it's uh it's just a daily check right you got to check all your plants top to bottom all the little knickknacks all the little points where stuff could be hiding um i tell people that we can get less religious in our checks after about day 30 okay um, uh and not to say that you should stop checking or anything like that um, because then also there is always late herms, you know, that pop up too. Like the late um, nanners? Yeah, like the late nanners. But I'm less worried about those a lot of the time. You know, pollinating, you've already made through the point where a lot of the pistols yeah. have started to close. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you're in a commercial facility, like it, it kind of, you just have to go in above and beyond and being a little diligent because 
one missed nut is going to destroy a whole harvest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, you know, we generally like, it's nice. You have a couple sets of eyes in the facility that are, are really, really good. And, you know, just uh, something I want to say is that I'm really blessed that I get to be a face for such an incredible crew of people who really know what they're talking about and working on a daily basis. So, and that I'm blessed that, uh, you know, I get to be the face of this hardworking team and, um, that we always have two, sometimes three sets of eyes that end up looking over all the phenos. And, you know, not to say that we haven't missed, you know, late Herm here or there or something like that, but like, we're so religious about it that uh, I don't, nothing snuck by so far, knock on wood, but not to say it's not possible either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who are new to growing, which we have a lot of people coming online, and that's kind of the stuff we try to get information out about. Um, they don't have those set uh, protocols, I guess you would say, for ch uh, for checking for intersexing. Uh, a lot it's... of them get upset and they say, oh, you know, this is why I don't like F1s. This is why I like lion breeding and stuff like that. But what I'm trying to tell people is this should be a part of your protocol to get you from beginning to end. You really need to especially nowadays with, uh, you know, with the vastness of genetic offerings, you know, you really be diligent about that aspect of, because it's on you at the end. You know what I mean? It's on uh, you. I, I could not agree more because like a lot of people will hand me packs of beans that they're like, oh, there's high harm rates in these. I'm like, I don't care. We're <laughs> looking for it anyways. Right. Um, like, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, and you know, we probably just between all of the spots I work with, we probably go through about 6,000 seeds a year. So it's, it's not like you're four to 6,000 probably. So it just depends. And, you know, you're sitting here looking through so many seeds at a time, like, um, you know, respect to some of the guys we've got outdoor working with us that do some of these massive ones for us. And, uh, you know, looking over every single plant is such a chore um, because even inside when you're done, like day seven looking over, you know, what's 120 girls that you think is going to, you know, synthesize down and stuff like that. It's tough to go branch by branch. It's such a fragile stage of the plant's life. That means so much. And like, I can, cannot give anyone any other tip than you literally have to go branch by branch, work yeah, your way, you, you know, like don't, uh, don't overcomplicate it. Like we're starting at the base, like say you topped your plant, it's got three main, or four main offshoots of it or whatever's off well go one offshoot at a time and off of each base off of each node at a time and it you know if you don't want to do it it's not for you um but you have to do it there's to me there's no other way to do it um because stuff sneaks around like i can't tell you like you're looking around a plant or whatever and then you turn over a leaf or whatever or a stem and there it is there's a little nutsack or whatever it is and um if you want to find the gems you got to sift through the bullshit yeah and i think you know the bigger the plant is obviously the harder that becomes right and that's another thing that i would say for pheno hunting and uh you know we 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 do a pretty good job of balancing that is like if you're pheno hunting huge plants looking for herms is such a chore but if yeah. like you know we pheno hunt just we give it a little bit of a shorter veg time so we don't have to do that yeah yeah and like yeah, your big stretch 
your yeah, big you stretchers will one, show up still. You, right. Yeah, you can you can be in a one gallon and have like a foot and a half plant and still determine whether it's gonna have those traits or not. Yeah, I mean, I know people who pheno hunt one plant per square foot. I know people who just grow for the cola and then rerun stuff back. I know people who, you know, there's a million different ways of getting this done. I know people who plant 4,000 seeds and they cull 2,000 of them based on veg speed. And they would wow. rather select through it from that point. Um, that makes there's... me not be able to sleep at night. <laughs> the potential <laughs> loss makes me not be able to sleep at night. No, I know. And again, there's a lot of people who just like when I tell them about that style of pheno hunting, they just flat out refuse. Um, but I think there's a lot of power to it, too. So um, it, it's more like a tr traditional agriculture outlook, which a lot of people yeah. in cannabis don't love. Right. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, he finds phenos that, uh, I mean, any connoisseur would say is good. He just goes about it his own way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, so there um, is, a, yeah. So I was, well, I guess uh, speaking of quality control and like everything that goes into that, we were going to talk about, um, clones and how it seems like tissue culture that, and how that's become, you know, more more available in that scene has made clones much more uh widely accepted because people can trust it more um yeah what 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 are your thoughts on kind of the impact of tissue culture and what it, what the clone scene is like these days well so okay so my quick touch on tissue culture would be i'm probably not as well versed in tissue culture as i should be um, but like, I've understood that there's a lot of good information and a lot of kind of like phony crappy information floating around about TC that's untrue, even from big labs. Um, so I kind of have a guy I use to talk about TC stuff too. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's some conflicting information on some of the TC stuff in terms of like what viruses can and can't be removed. Um, what pathogens can or can't be removed, what um, is the actual, what what does stuff come back like? Because in my experience, like flowering tissue culture clones has been horrible. Um, and uh, then and that's just my experience, right? Um, so I think there's some definite hurdles to get over in tissue culture and i kind of am in the mode of letting other people learn on the dollar yeah. and that and and then i will come in later yeah that's very wise that's i do a lot of the things i do is watch other people do it find them have success and then try to emulate that success uh would you say that lab testing for viroids and stuff like that and being able to provide lab testing results uh help boost confidence in the cut market you know, um, so I was selling cuts before HLV was a thing, but I think we've always kind of known, I don't know, there's a lot of theories on HLV and dudding out there and stuff, but like, to me, it's been a thing for a long time. Um, we just got, finally got to put a fancy name on it. And so everyone likes to say that they have it. I can't tell you how many people I've been to their gardens and they're concerned about having HLV that when you do a test on it, it's just a lateral growing branch or a shitty plant. Or like, you know, we just had, we had some crazy virus pop up essentially this year in our garden that uh, 
it was on one it was on uh one strain and you could tell within the first like two or three weeks of flower like you were like something's just fucked up with this whole batch it like just it doesn't even look right you know and everyone's first thing is HLV, HLV, HLV. Right. And so uh, we go get full panel testing. Uh, like, and I mean, for like 13 different viroids, HLV, the four majors comes up for absolutely nothing. Comes back absolutely clean. Nothing, no viruses that we're testing. And we're even testing for like these crazy viruses that when I'm like Googling on them, they're like stuff I've never even heard of. Um, and, uh, turns out to be nothing. We start using, um, you know, some, some genetic cleaners and some other, you know, products in the garden. Like, uh, you start using just the bacteria cleaners and stuff like that. And whether it's a zero tall or, or whatever it is. And next thing you know, like these little problems that started being major problems start to subside. And, um, so I think a lot of times, like when we see these things going on in our garden, a lot of times we haven't seen all the bugs and viruses of cannabis. And we're really quick to point our fingers to it's HLV, it's a uh, TMV, it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, whatever the virus is, um, there's a whole gang of them. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my experience in like freaking out about the garden and everything like that. And, you know, I mean, imagine, guys, we spent like $4,000 testing this genetic for different tests for us just to get told essentially to use some zero tall and it fixed the genetic from whatever little bacteria or pathogen had affected it. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, like you really got to know what you're looking for and these genetic, and it's tough. And so while again, I, and also like, the more you understand about the HLV and the testing and stuff like, um, you know, it can be hiding in different parts of plants. So if we send off a plant for a sample and get it sampled um, and it's really hiding in a, you know, like a lot of times I think people don't understand the HLV is hiding out in some of the weaker parts of your plant. And so if you don't take on some of those weaker parts of the plant, you could literally test positive, even though you have it. And uh, right. so you know, just keeping good general plant health to me is like a better rule of thumb. I actually believe that you can, you know, spark HLV or some of these other viruses by having poor plant health. It's just like an animal in the animal kingdom or like, you know, a person, um, you know, who there's, you know, weird diseases where people's, you know, proteins turn into fats and stuff like that. And what, you know, what's that caused by? Oh, that was caused by a genetic disorder or by, you know, stress or some kind of onset in that person's life, you know, that created this, you know, health issue. And, and I don't believe that the plants are any different. I would agree with that. I think that what is it there? Secondary metabolites and immune system all play a key role into what is infected or not infected or damaged or not damaged. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and like, so that's where I've learned like that keeping good, clean, healthy moms is like really the best thing you can do. Obviously, yeah. like if you're going to go sell cuts or something, like go get your HLV tests and stuff like that. Just, you know, cause it's a hundred dollars just to make sure that you don't absolutely fuck someone else's garden. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, shout out to Farmer Freeman. I think he just released uh, some of his uh, testing kits that you can send in and he'll do testing for you. So we always get uh, got to show some love for Farmer Freeman. Uh, See, so and now, that's, like, uh, go ahead. that's the cool thing people are getting into. Yeah. So um, do you, as a as in the cut market, um, do you pretty much gear yourself towards the high-end cuts for a higher price? Or do you also have like a wholesale aspect of it where you're, you know, wholesaling large? Because I know like, like say King Kong clones, they're not out trying to sell trades. You know, they're just right. selling one onesie twosie some. So are you kind of going in that direction or are you still kind of moving in that larger wholesale type direction? Well, so we're going to have both. Like, um, so I'm kind of like going to relaunch the West Coast Connoisseur series here of, of uh, super limited drops, high dollar clones. Uh, those will be, uh, you know, they'll have all the metrics, all the var variabilities uh, run in different environments kind of deal. And to me, that's what people will be getting to pay for is like that kind of level of exclusivity and testing. Um, I have a whole nother set of stuff that we're going to release too, which is going to be more catered toward the wholesale market and, uh, you know, lower dollar stuff. You're going to have to be buying in bulk, but you'll, uh, you'll be able to get a lot, you know, whether it's, you know, we've got all kinds of things we're going to release under that framework too, that, you know, just people don't have that people love because we're always going through seeds. So, uh, speaking of always going through seeds what kind of stuff are you hunting right now that you guys are stoked on that you're, you're excited about okay so hmm, probably the so we try to do when we pheno hunt we try to pheno hunt by line so we can look at most of a line together whether it's a male or something like so like we just did you know 200 rainbow belt seeds together it was like 180 or something like that but we you know all the rainbow belts and all the rainbow belts crosses that we like we'll do all those together it's just in my opinion it's a much easier way to compare things rather than we've got you know some oranges in this room and some stuff in that room i like to synthesize our flavors like as the connoisseurs would essentially call it and uh so right now we're doing a bunch of the fried ice cream gun chest stuff that uh the ratto ronin guys did um so we're, we're feeling really lucky to be able to be testing that stuff so we got banana cannons fried ice cream gun chest we've got blueberry pie fried ice cream gun chest hard candy fried ice cream gun chest grandpa's gun chest fried ice cream f2s um and then uh, in the next hunt behind that, we've got a bunch of the Pure Melt gear, if anyone's familiar with Pure Melt. Um, so we've got uh, Farmer's Daughter in there and the Banana Melt Shake and the Yellow Melt Shake and uh, the Grape Melt Shake or Grape Jam, I think they called the Grape, grape Jam Cross. And um, man, I don't normally kick all the game of all the Finos we're hunting. So if anyone's taking <laughs> notes here, this is the time. Uh, <laughs> Um, man, and I'm sure there's some things I'm missing off the top of my head that someone would slap me for. Uh, oh, Red Zushi's in the hunt, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've liked a lot of, uh, the Ronin gear and the raw gear, and so, uh, to be able to hunt the raw Ratto collab, which is the blueberry pie fried ice cream gun chest, uh, really excited to do that because i actually found that clone and so um 
you know, I know what its capabilities are. So, uh, you know, it's a three light plant. It tastes incredible. Um, good color, hard to trim, but you know, for it hits all the other boxes pretty much. It doesn't wash well, but, um, you know, and that's another clone that I might release this year too. So once we kind of get into some of the outcrosses of these things, we're going to, we're going to get, you know, uh, some of these genetics that I think have just been really awesome and kind to us, to the people in different forms, depending on, you know, like, um, depending on how many boxes it checks, it'll have a different value essentially. So you, um, you had mentioned maybe doing some future projects where you're, uh, looking to kind of collab with people on, on different genetics and cuts and can you talk yeah, about so that like, a little bit? Yeah. So like, uh, I've put like to me where the West coast connoisseur evolution is kind of turned to is, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be launching a new site here and stuff. Uh, so the last, you know, West coast connoisseur, if you get on the site now, it, it kind of turned into a seed bank thing and we've mortgaged that opportunity and we're going to come back with a series of seeds. Um, instead of just selling the same seeds that everyone else is selling, we're going to come back with, uh, we've, you know, been able to rope together um, a lot of the big breeders in the community, Raw, Y-East, Ronan, Ratto. Um, we've got some other cool projects in the works that I'm not going to quite announce yet until we really get into those. Um, and no, we've got all the grounds working, but it's, it's all of your popular guys who, you know, who you follow. And we're putting together kind of what I call these three by three collabs of, um, you know, getting three strains run together and then releasing those, um, uh, whether it's raw by Ratto, Ratto by Ronan, uh, pure melt by raw. Um, whatever kind of angle, you know, why East by Ronan, uh, it's all, all of your favorite guys have come together on this project. Um, and so that it's been a real blessing for me that I've been able to spearhead this and that we're going to essentially build a bank off of these collaborated efforts. Nice. Um, yeah. And so, you know, these just, they're going to be way, uh, they're going to be collabs they're going to be in limited numbers not super limited to where you're like you know uh, five or ten packs they'll be you know 50 hundred pack drops or whatever they are and um you know just getting into the roots of these collabs and building more of it to where um you know if you want some of these seeds or cuts that come out of these programs it's only going to be offered through that the, those websites like you know on the the Ratto Ronan crosses I'll ex or, or raw Ratto. I expect you'll see them on Ratto's website and raw's website, you know, yeah. but some of the crosses that we make out of that will only appear on the West coast connoisseur website. Cool. That's a, that's ex exclusivity. Right. So um, just trying to get, you know, and it's been a long road to get to this point to where we've got everyone working together and on the same page. And it's a lot of communication and a lot of effort to keep up with what everyone's projects are so that we can get everything together and make sure that everyone's on the same page uh, so that we're, we're all moving forward together. Yeah, I'm excited. I like that. Uh, I like that a lot of the community is starting to work together. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's good to see folks uh, doing projects that kind of keep people excited. 
when I started proposing these projects to people, people were kind of like, this is insane. Um, but, you know, we're going through so many great phenos and stuff that when I was willing to provide some of the phenos and stuff like that, and we could, you know, essentially extend some olive branches that we were able to, you know, like start to build some traction. And then, you know, when you've got some of the other big dogs together, the other big dogs are willing to listen. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, the steam we have right now. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's innovation and that's cool. I mean, we need that constant innovation. Right. And so like, you know, um, I'll hit a teaser drop here, like the Y East raw collab that we're hunting a bunch of right now is the animal rescue which is a chem 91 animal cookie crossed to Boshio mm. belts which is a rainbow belts 41 mm -hmm. um so i'm hoping those are kind of like a skittles chem you know uh, purple plants uh the uh light green of the Boshio belts i'm hoping will improve the dark green color like animal rescue it's uh got great checks a lot of boxes except for the it's too dark of a green for a general consumer um and so hoping that the rainbow belts can kind of light up some of those colors and uh we could get to you know a place where we've got some, some really cool genetics between some people who have really spent some time looking around stuff and that we're doing really deep pheno hunts so that you know the quality meets, mat matches the effort yeah 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 well before we go, uh, Jacob, because we've had a great time this afternoon. So before we get into shout outs and stuff like that, I wanted to give a shout out to everyone on the live stream. Uh, uh, awesome to have everyone in there. We've They've been chatting away and having a good time um, talking about everything that you guys have been talking about today. Um, but Jacob, um, I had a question that just came to mind um, when you were just talking about green weed and stuff like that. Um, so are you finding consumers... Are you saying that they they don't like green a certain shade of green green weed? I've heard kind of similar about purple weed. Like some people are like, I don't know. Like some people love purple weed. Like you know, if you're a weed nerd, especially on like cannabis, whenever we had like purple weed pictures, they get a lot of likes. But it seems like the mainstream consumer per se might not like purple weed because they're like weirded out by it. What what have you seen? Well, so I think there's two two sides of that. Is one, I think there's the make green weed great again trend kind of deal from a lot of <laughs> yeah. people who are smoking again, like uh, archived and the rainbow belts thing. You know, worked out really well. Uh, we found this blue petrol cut that is absolutely like the shaggiest motherfucker on planet Earth, but smokes incredible. And you know, I have a bunch of people tell me blue petrol is the best weed they've got this year. Like they hoard their blue petrol, whatever it is, and. But the general consumer at the dispensary does not buy rainbow belts. They do not buy blue petrol because they're looking for this Instagrammable bud, for mm. lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but until the customer gets, um, you know, purpled out, so to call it, is like they get too many purple buds that don't smoke on them, whether they're punch crosses or mac crosses or whatever it is that don't end up smoking that well for them. That's when they turn back to like, where's this OG? Where's the sour? And okay. I'm looking for this green weed with a punch. You know, I'm looking for this Chem 91, this sour, this OG kind of deal. And that's where like the green weed great again guys are versus like the absolute general customer needs to have color for it to be accepted. Like I tell people if they can't post it on Instagram, they won't buy it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. And well, I think it's a horrible place to be. 
but it is what it is. <laughs> um, well, let's switch to maybe great places to be. Are there any cannabis events or anything like that that you're planning to check out this year that people may, can maybe catch you at? Man, you know, I don't have anything like truly in the works right now other than we're going to probably be at high times in Oklahoma or something like that. Or we'll do Cowboy Cup again. Um, you know, we just did an Ego Clash. Um, so oh, cool. that's that was kind of like our big event we just did recently. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't really have anything in the works. But like, I mean, look, if there's a Puffco event in L.A., like count on me being there or something like that. So. <laughs> nice nice well um where can people check you out where can people follow you websites all that good stuff okay so instagram is west coast connoisseur and you know that one's going to be deeply shadow banned and um so uh you know i'll I'll come up with some something easier but so like uh we're actually going to launch a new website here soon um with the ronin seeds guys and so it'll probably um you know that's going to come up in the next week or two so that's coming really fast so we're it's it's essentially going to be a whole relaunch and that stuff will be in my instagram and in my twitter and you can find my twitter in my instagram and uh so and we're gonna you know with how twitter friendly uh or how weed friendly twitter is becoming we're going to be posting more and more on twitter and less and less on instagram yeah, I see that already being a trend. I've seen things slow down a bit on Instagram, and a lot of people are kind of making that sh- uh, that shift. Elon is flexing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a couple avenues too, right? Like that Twitter is looking to try to pay their creators. Um, I think that's a very important aspect of this whole thing. Like, you know, as someone who's built multiple Instagram accounts over 30, 40, 50,000, and just to have them taken away to right. be able to monetize your effort is very important. Um, and especially as someone who knows they can make things that crack virally, um, that's really, you know, I think that's just the start of things. And then uh, just that Twitter is trying to be this everything app where like, again, you can send money to people and you can do, you know, like, again, just having features like that are so important. Like, okay, if I like what I'm seeing on Instagram and in this photo and everything, well, then now I got to go to Raw Genetics website and see if I like it and punch in all my info. But and in, I assume in a couple months, Twitter will be this place where it's like, you like what you see, you can send money for it right there. That's, it will, that's awesome. It will be interesting for sure. Um, your, so your Twitter account is at WCCHanna. So, yes. um, so make sure to look that up. And then you can also follow Cannabis. We're at Cannabis app, A-P-P. Um, so we're definitely going to probably be experimenting on Cannabis or sorry, on Twitter a little bit more as well, just because, uh, if you're watching this and not sure what we're talking about, they announced this past week that they're cool with Cannabis advertisements. So that is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, one of the things that I've read deeper into the policy on that is a standpoint that I found instant, in, interesting is in the ad, you will not be able to show any product. Yeah. Yeah. And no consumption either. You can't show someone consuming weed, uh, like smoking yeah, it or anything like too, that. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading those rules too. Um, well, cool. So 
thank you so much, uh, Jacob. We really appreciated your time today. Um, we had a blast uh, catching up on everything that you're up to and learning out about strains. I'm sure we're, um, we'll reach out to you again sometime and hear what you're up to. Um, so I just love hearing about all the shifts and strains and different trends like that. It's It's really interesting to watch. Yeah, and if anyone's watching live who, you know, wants to drop in my Instagram or my Twitter DM and answer, uh, you know, I try to ask it or answer as many questions that aren't just like general grow questions. Oh, cool. Nice. So. Well, um, once again, thanks everyone in the Cannabis community for joining us today. We've had a great time. Uh, if they're watching right now, stay tuned. Um, after I end the official recording of this, I'll do a random pick of the winner of our uh, Zuper uh, Plushers seeds from Tiki. And then um, also in future streams, we've got a bunch of grav Grove bags to give away. Have you ever checked out Grove bags, West Coast? Have you heard? You know... I've heard of them, but I've never seen them. Yeah. Well, I guess you've seen them now over Zoom or whatever, but they're pretty, right. they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Um, well, cool. Well, th thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it, man. And um, everyone watching, we hope you have a great rest of your week. And as always, growers love. Growers love. Thanks, guys. Hey, hey and next week uh, we have Green Sunrider coming on uh, from Hungry Hollow Farms. And we'll be discussing some of the North Cal uh, legacy growers and what they're up to. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be doing uh, more seed gives away, giveaways. So if you want a chance uh, to win some killer genetics, uh, join the live chat and we'll make sure that happens. Yeah, and uh, again, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate when guests come on and they're willing to really share information and uh, you've done a fantastic job of, of kind of breaking things down. And, uh, and, and it's kind of led up to what we're at, uh, kind of the modern scene that we're in today. So uh, we and all of our listeners really appreciate your time. And thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, man. And if I can leave anyone with a closing thought, it's that I'm really a product of the current commoditized market. I started in it from the black and turned current. So. Yes. <laughs> well thanks so much for joining us today and uh it's been a good one hope you have a great rest of your sunday afternoon thanks guys i'll talk to you soon all right peace growers love